On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by cardiologist Dr. Paddy Barrett, chatting all things cardiovascular disease. The way I look at this is that the the two statistics that everyone should really be aware of is cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death globally and in most developed nations, but it's also the most preventable. 90% of it can be prevented at an early stage if you just follow the right steps and formula. So I look at it as a, a scary opportunity. As ever available on all podcast platforms. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time Imon Irokti Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligam, a Makan Shah, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, on Kestin Echol. Vientalam Aginom Griv, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. This is an Irish independent podcast. Today on the Indo Daily, Trump's pick for Veep a $250 million fine, and his fitness for office questioned. Has anybody seen Silence of the Lambs? Hannibal Lecter, how great an actor was he? You know why I like him? Because he said, I love Donald Trump, so I love him. I love him. Last week, Donald Trump and his children, Don Jr., Eric and Ivanka, all testified in front of a New York judge to dispute claims that the former president deceived banks. Trump sure looked ready for a fight as he glared at the camera. He clashed with Judge Arthur Engeron from the moment he took the stand, giving long speeches instead of yes and no answers. The stakes are high for the former president as his business empire and reputation are on the line if found guilty. Donald Trump could lose control of Trump Tower if he's barred from doing business in New York. This trial will determine the penalty. While setting out yet another Republican presidential nomination debate, Trump has raised eyebrows and concerns about who his possible 2024 presidential running mate could be. Um, But you just heard him dangling out there the concept of Tucker Carlson for VP. I'm sorry. It's just laughable. He's a showman. He can't help himself. I'm Fionn Sheen, and today on the Indo Daily, I'm joined by Gina London, Sunday Independent columnist and former CNN anchor, to ask if this latest scandal will see him convicted of fraud or propel him to the White House once again. Jane London, Donald Trump was on the stand, but why? What's he doing in court? What is this case all about? Well, it is hard to keep them all, all straight, isn't it? Because there's four What's different this one cases, about? I think, yeah. that are circling all around. But let's pick this one. It's a civil fraud trial against Donald Trump and his sons and their New York-based business. And it was brought by the Attorney General of that state, Letitia James, and they're charged with overvaluating their properties for years and years, as much as up to 300% in some cases, to get better loan deals from banks over the years. At the end of the day, um, the documentary evidence demonstrated that, in fact, he falsely inflated his assets to basically enrich himself and his family. 
And this is a penalty phase now because they've actually already been found guilty of fraud by the judge, and it is just in front of the judge. And now, interestingly, they're not refuting the charges particularly. Instead, or what they're doing is the Trump defense is reminding me of that pirate's code in the Pirates of the Caribbean. Do you remember when they said, oh, the code's more like a guideline than actual rules? Yes. <laughs> so they say that, you know, these valuations are, are okay because they're covered by a disclaimer clause in each of the reports that essentially warn banks that they need to do their own homework and the figures are really worthless. So it's their problem, not the Trump's. And that's what we're now looking at in the series of the testimonies that we've heard over the last several days of Donald Trump himself. Because it's a civil trial and not a criminal trial, some would have expected that he would have just pleaded the fifth and avoided getting on the stand. But that is typically used in criminal trials and not civil. So he took the stand for five hours. And as you can imagine, he used it as he often does to lash out at his opponents and get into his rallying style. And the judge asked him to directly answer questions. And a number of times, he even asked Trump's attorneys to control him. And of course, that prompted Trump's one of Trump's lawyers, Chris Keis, to say, hey, something to the effect of it's your courtroom, you control him. And he largely didn't. This is a scam. And this is a case that should have never been brought. And it's a case that now should be dismissed. Everybody saw what happened today. Everybody saw what happened with their star witness who admitted that. I never told him what he originally said. I did. Now, they did manage to get a bit of admission from Trump that he's actually did admit he's reviewed some of the financial documents that were sent to him by his team that he occasionally made recommendations. But we'll see what this means in terms of what's at stake. And there was this really weird moment too that's picking up some notice when Trump took a piece of paper out of his jacket and he held it out to the judge and said, if I could read this, it will completely clear my name. But the judge, of course, said he couldn't read it. And apparently, that when he put it back in his pocket, he later posted it, a screenshot of that on his true social site. And that was that dreaded disclaimer clause that he keeps talking about. So then, of course, we had also his sons and his eldest daughter also testify in this case. A lawyer from the New York Attorney General's office was asking Trump about his 2021 financial statement. And <laughs> Trump's response to that People are saying mm, it suggests there's something awry here. Yes, because he immediately launched into his defense on whether or not he had been involved in the 2021 financial reports that were coming out from his business. He says, I couldn't look at those because I was, I'm paraphrasing here, I couldn't look at those because I was too busy in the White House defending us against China, against Russia. And then the prosecuting attorney said, wait a minute, you were not in the White House in 2021. And in the last several days, there have been a number of these flubs where at one point Donald Trump was at a rally and he made reference about how he beat Obama. There's been references where he's calling the city that he's in a different name completely. And, you know, Trump's made a lot out on his rallies about making comments and making fun of Biden for his 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 spoken gaffes and his mental capacity and now there's maybe the chickens are coming home to roost crooked joe can't even walk up the children's stairs in air force one you know <laughs> now doesn't that look terrible you see a man come at you want to see a man walk out or a woman 
Walk off, Air Force One. Nice yeah, it's okay. John Claude Van Damme said on the Late Show recently that he was in Belfast when he was in Dublin. So I mean, it seems to happen quite a lot for for, for <laughs> celebrities. But it's not just Trump understand here that it has come under intense scrutiny. The kids have also yes, the kids. have also appeared. What did you make of Eric and Donald Jr. to start with? What's interesting here is in this case, the sons are actually defense. They are actually part of this trial. They are actually defendants, whereas Ivanka isn't. So let's take the sons first. And the reason is because when the initial overvaluation documents were made, it was back in 2011. So all of them were a part of the, of the company. But the statute of limitations has run out on that. But what this whole trial is on is that there's still been perpetuated fraud because these documents have been continued to be used for ongoing loans that were fraudulent, according to the attorney general's office, up until 2016 and the present. So that's still covered under the statute of limitations, which is why Ivanka gets out and the boys stay in. So the two sons, Eric and Don Jr., they both testified this past week. And interestingly, Donald Trump did not show up to watch either of the sons testify. And to me, it kind of reminds me of like a normal parent not showing up to watch their kid's school play. But seriously, both of them treated it a bit like a play, like theater. Don Jr. announced to the cameras that were coming into the courtroom before he took the stand because, of course, they're not loud during testimony. But as the cameras were snapping away beforehand, he smiled and he quipped, oh, I should have worn makeup. And then later, he apparently told the courtroom sketch artist to make him look sexy. So it really is all theater to them. And during their testimony itself, though, both he and Eric basically claimed they had nothing to do with the financials, that they only signed them off, but they didn't pay attention to anything in the documents. And again, another Don Jr. notable quotable was when he was on the courtroom steps afterward, and he declared that his family shouldn't be on trial for financial fraud since, quote, in his words, I rely on the accountants to do, wait for it, accounting. And he dramatically did say the wait for it part. Yeah, so it's basically, it's the accountants, it's the bean counters, this is all their work over here, and I'm just the guy at the top who makes the decisions. That seems to be the, the defense. The, yeah, that's uh, it. They, they say, you know, we don't pay attention to the financials, and we'll see if the judge agrees that that's a viable excuse for a company that their name is on and that they're all top executives of. Yet at the same time, we, we probably less comfortable in the stand, even though she exudes confidence all the time was Ivanka Trump. Now, we've heard a lot about her trying to distance herself from the the Trump political brand in in recent times. How do you think she fared and came across on the stand on this occasion? It was an interesting moment at the very beginning. She stayed. She was not present in Mar-a-Lago when Donald Trump announced his re-election bid this go around. She's not making the same types of talk show rounds like Eric and Don Jr. do. And so at the very beginning, when she took the stand in the courtroom in New York, that the judge was was there, of course, on hand as they were announcing Ivanka Trump to take the stand. And he quips, who is she? So a little bit of theatrics there, too. Now, she did have her day when she was speaking in her, of course, there were some of the talk show hosts were commenting on how she was looking like she was ready to walk the red carpet as opposed to walking down the the aisleway there to take the stand to give testimony as a witness. But she was, again, in her signature style, speaking very slowly, 
very softly and repeating over and over again while she was being shown emails that she had written and her signatures in her, um, her own signature on documents kept repeating, I don't recall, I don't recall. And interestingly, she had tried to get out of this appearance. Earlier today, she asked the court to allow her to not testify next week in Donald Trump's civil fraud trial. Her attorney argued that it would be a hardship because she lives in Florida with her three kids and it's in the middle of a school week. The judge rejected her appeal earlier this evening. It was a little bit surreal as far as an excuse. Oh, and this is interesting because she had managed to fly from her home in Miami recently to attend Kim Kardashian's birthday party in Beverly Hills. But maybe that was okay because it was on a Friday. If Donald Trump gets hit with an enormous penalty here, what is the impact of that? I mean, financially, would he be able to absorb it? And then politically, does it have an effect? Let's do politically mm. second. The big picture of what could happen is that they, they keep calling this a $250 million civil suit. It could forcibly dismantle his entire company in the state of New York. Donald Trump could lose control of Trump Tower if he's barred from doing business in New York. The judge has already ruled that Trump properties, like his Mar-a-Lago Golf Club in Florida, were fraudulently overvalued. This trial will determine the penalty. If the business certificates are canceled, for example, that would include Trump Tower, Trump Park Avenue, Trump National Golf Course in Hudson Valley, and it could put everything under the control of a court-appointed receiver and like operating like an executor of an estate. And of course, most important, I think, of all is that this could forever alter Trump's legacy, the legacy that he has parlayed into what is now his political career. So will his, back to the political question now, if it does go that way, and if it does begin to dismantle the Trump empire in New York, will that have any impact on these diehard MAGA voters who he can do no evil to? My bet is no. He'll use it like he continues to use everything as part of his bully pulpit and his continued refrain that it's a witch hunt and everyone's after him. And he'll use it to probably raise even more funds than he has in the past. Yeah, we have had th this claim by his sons that nobody has done more for the New York skyline than Donald J. Trump. But, you know, I mean, I think there are many other architects of Manhattan who, who would argue they've contributed far more than he has. But as you say, he, he's going to turn this to his favor then politically. He basically makes out this is all politically motivated. They're only coming after me because of who I am. It's nothing to do with, with my business. It won't block him from running for office again. So he absorbs it and he, he takes it on, it on board. So again, it's more publicity for, for Donald Trump. How are his prospects looking at the moment to become the Republican presidential nominee? Yeah, the old adage of, of bad publicity is better than no publicity certainly has been something of the calling card from Donald Trump. Well, hey, he's made a, a, a course of sport out of bashing the failing New York Times, in his words. But now he's really happy this week to support the paper because it made eye-popping headlines with its latest election poll. New polls are showing some very unfavorable trends for President Biden. New York Times Siena College poll shows Trump leading in five of the six most important battleground states. The polls are rattling. So you've got the battleground states, 
for Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Biden is behind up to 10 points in those states. And that very same poll shows that the president is only ahead in Wisconsin by just a measly little two percentage points. And that is bad news for Democrats, even though it would be important to note that a year out from the election, Obama was behind Mitt Romney. And of course, Hillary Clinton was way out ahead ahead of Donald Trump. But we do have a candidate who is running against a man facing four separate trials who lost the popular vote during both of his previous attempts And I think that this poll is a real indicator of what a weak candidate Joe Biden is. And so much so that this week, Democratic operatives even have publicly gone on X or Twitter to ask Joe Biden if he wouldn't reconsider at this point. The polls are rattling many top Democrats, including former Obama advisor David Axelrod, who says Biden should reconsider running. He just has to ask himself, is this the best path? CBS News chief election and campaign correspondent Robert Costa. Are there alarm bells going off in Washington right now? How are Democrats reacting to these poll numbers? And on the Republican side, is is there realistically anybody who can stop Trump at this point? Well, this week was the third and least attended GOP debate in Florida in Ron DeSantis, one of the hopefuls. There were five candidates that were on the stage in Miami hoping to somehow come even within double digits from from Donald Trump or close double digits, and the numbers just aren't budging. And interestingly, of course, Donald Trump sat this one out like he has the other two, and he held a rally in also in Florida at the same time that the the debate was going on on Wednesday night and in it he actually made a more public announcement than he had on an earlier talk show on the same day that he would consider the Tucker Carlson could be his running mate so that is a definite interesting situation thinking about two masterful message manipulators out there running on the Republican ticket. He thinks the presidency is the White House. In fact, next we'll have uh, The Apprentice, the White House edition. I mean, to say Tucker, it just really undermines the importance and the seriousness of running for the highest office in this land. He literally thinks that he's going to hand out roses like he's on The Bachelor. Tucker is not a serious contender for vice president, and he knows that. So Tucker Carlson, former Fox News host, departed in in fairly acrimonious circumstances recently. What would he bring to the political table? Cynical alert, of course. He would bring another person who is absolutely thinking about how he can get more clicks, more likes, more viewers, more. He loves to rally people the same way Donald Trump likes to rally people. I don't know how much either of them genuinely in their heart believe firmly of the policies that they talk about, but they certainly love to rile things up. And I think you've got two really strong pot stirrers watching things potentially as they bring the democracy of the United States to its knees as both of them fiddle very loudly. We see the United States again in the spotlight, obviously, on on the world stage as the Secretary of State Anthony Blinken travels around the the Middle East, Mm. supposedly trying to calm the situation down in uh, Israel. I mean, should we be looking at this going, if if Donald Trump is president, that's not the kind of language that you're going to get at all from the United States. He's just going to inflame the situation even more. 
Well, the, the one thing that we can predict about Donald Trump is his unpredictability. That's been seen time and time again. And as Antony Blinken was speaking in the Middle East this past this past week, I messaged over to a friend of mine who works on the Biden campaign, and I just said, Antony Blinken for president. And I got a big sad face response. But boy, we need more statesmen. We need people that look fresh and are empathetic and can articulate. And certainly if we do get a Donald Trump in the White House and whatever unprecedented, uncharted constitutional situation it is, if he's in the White House or he's in the big house, it will certainly be diplomacy like we saw before, which is not diplomacy. It's calling the president of North Korea a little rocket man. It's making all sorts of saber rattling and it's calling government's bluffs. It's saying that that our typical standard allies are not our allies and that our enemies are quote smart people so we don't expect to see and like we always said when president trump became when donald trump became president there were a lot of people said oh now he'll be presidential he will never be presidential he will always be donald trump yeah, we've gone from the days of, of gunboat diplomacy to so blunderbuss diplomacy coming from Trump. Is there anything that he's pitching at the moment that you would say that's different from his previous presidency in terms of his economic outlook, his social outlook, looking at world affairs? Is it literally just the second act of the same play uh, or, or has he put a, any sort of new twist on it? Wow, you're making me scratch my head to think mm. if I might be missing something. I mean, let's be really honest. This guy is a soundbiter. He's a slogan chanter. He's a insulter. And somehow that appeals to a lot of people that I guess still feel like the quote-unquote elites aren't listening to them, although they're fans of elite athletes and fans of other things that are elite, but why you can't be fans of, of an elite education or, or an elite approach to the complexity that is geopolitics is another question. But I certainly don't think from where I sit, he's singing from the same hymn sheet he's been singing from. Now, I guess you can say maybe that he's decided that windmills aren't just bad for birds, they're also bad for whales. By whales, I mean the mammal that lives in the sea, not the country, because he probably couldn't find that on the map. There has only been, listen to this, one such whale killed off the coast of South Carolina in the last 50 years. But on the other hand, their windmills are causing whales to die in numbers never seen before. Nobody does anything about that. They're washing up and show. I saw it this weekend. Three of them came up. They wouldn't. And my thanks to Gina London. I'm Fiona Sheehan, and today's episode of the Indo Daily was produced by Garrett Mulhall, researched by Sylvia Amorodian and Dave Hanratty, with sound by Niall McMonigal. Archive clips from BBC News, Inside Edition, Politico, ABC News, The Telegraph, Newsmax, CNN, Forbes Breaking News, and The New York Post. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow, and leave us a review. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts.